Well, last week, Scott started us off by asking a really important question. Who gets to define what your life looks like? Who gets to define what your life looks like? We often think that we are autonomous, that we can pick and choose who gets to tell us what us and our relationships, our relationship even with Jesus, gets to look like. But we saw last week that Jesus is the one who actually gets to call the shots on what our life looks like. In that opening document, uh, Scott had us read this paragraph. So if you have that open, I'm just going to read this first paragraph in it. It says, Redemption Church desires to begin a new chapter in our life together as we seek to reestablish our covenantal partnership. We believe belonging to God's people under God's leaders who seek to lead us in the way of Jesus is part and parcel of the Christian life. Over the last few years, Redemption Church has not focused as we should. We are openly admitting this. We have not focused as we should on church membership. We have not talked about that. And we've also then seen a significant change in a lot of the makeup of who's participating in the life of our church. So now we want to update our list of who our partners with us, renew our covenantal commitments to God, each other, and ourselves. So this teaching series we're in right now represents a very new season for us as a church of cleaning our roles, of looking at what it means to be a covenant family together. And so Scott began last week walking us through a biblical understanding of covenants that we see throughout the whole storyline of Scripture. We saw that covenants are an enduring agreement between two people that focus on relationship. And as even as Scott alluded to, we'll be continuing to talk about that tonight at our theology night, which I would strongly encourage you to come to tonight, 6 to 7.30. But last week, Scott landed by showing us how Jesus has now brought us into a new covenant relationship with God, which means then we respond to Jesus and his covenant with our faith, our believing allegiance in him. But that now calls us into covenant with Jesus' people. So now, we want to ask the question today, what does that mean? What does that mean in everyday life? Or in other words, today I want us to ask the question, what does it mean to belong? What does it mean to belong to this covenant family? And what's interesting is this question is not unique to us. It's not unique to Christians in Virginia. It's not unique to just Christians in America. Christians all around the world have wrestled with this question, what does this mean to belong to God's family? And sadly, for many people, I think specifically for the church in America, following Jesus means you can choose your own adventure. You can choose your own adventure. You can choose to follow Jesus however you want. Is anyone familiar with this book series growing up, the Choose Your Own Adventure book series? Anybody? For those unfamiliar with this book series, I see some smiles out there. I know you guys read it, even if you weren't homeschoolers. In this book series, you'd, you would begin a story about a journey or an exploration, and then you'd come to this pivot point in the story. And you would literally choose, do I want to fight the alligator or try to get around the lake and go around? Do I go up to the top of the volcano and peek in to see if there's buried treasure, or do I say, no, maybe I'll take this other path? Do I choose to jump in this spaceship not knowing where it'll take me? Or do I say, no, I'll hike over here instead? And so you could choose how you want the story to go. Sometimes you'd make the wrong choice. Then you'd have to try to find your page number again and then try to make the right choice and go a different direction. 
An amazing part of my childhood, absolutely, but a very wrong picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But sadly, many today claim to follow Jesus, but simply choose their own adventure. You just pick and choose how you think you can follow Jesus. Let's throw off centuries of church tradition and theology and understanding of the Bible, and you do what's best for you, we're told. You don't like living in community with other believers because that's hard? Just don't do it. You don't like going to church on a Sunday morning because that's a great time for brunch? Well, just live stream that service, then watch it if slash when it's convenient. You don't like being asked to serve people who are really hard to love? That's fine. Just hang out with people who are just like you. You don't like the way the pastors are running the church? Find a church that suits all of your needs. You don't want to be generous with your time or your talents or your giftings or your money? Well, then just find a church that doesn't ask too much of you. You don't like having to open up your life to weird or awkward people? Well, just don't go around those people. Avoid them. And before you get mad at me for possibly describing you, I'm describing myself. I'm describing all of us in many ways, where each of us seeks to, well, I don't really like this part of following Jesus, but I really, I'm really good at reading my Bible and praying on my own. But if you're going to ask me to talk to somebody, I don't know if I want to do that. We all, in many ways, do this. And I want to acknowledge that some of us are in different places of our spiritual journey. A lot of people, even in light of COVID and coming out of 2020, are still struggling with a lot of these questions of what does it look like to belong to a family of God. But... There's a difference between seeking to figure out how to follow Jesus versus I'm just going to pick and choose what's most convenient for me. Those are very different worlds. Following Jesus is not a choose-your-own-adventure because following Jesus and being part of his family looks like some very specific things, which we're going to look at today. And again, what's interesting is this question isn't novel to us. In the book of Philippians... The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that was trying to figure this out. What does it look like to belong to each other? You can actually turn to Philippians now. Paul is writing to this group of people who are figuring, trying to figure out a lot of the same questions that we're seeking to figure out today. So as you guys are turning there, I'm just going to pray and we're going to jump into this. Well, Jesus, we do thank you already for this time we've had together of singing, of even hearing our kids speak truths about you, of hearing songs sung to you, songs, some, songs sung over each other. And so now, Jesus, as we come to your word in the book of Philippians, we, as your people, ask for your help. I ask for your help, God. I pray for clarity and conciseness and communication. I pray that each of us here this morning would have ears to hear what you, Spirit, are saying to us. For some of us, maybe there are areas where we know we can repent and believe deeper in Jesus. For some of us, maybe we're blind to these areas and we need you to show us. But Spirit of God, thank you that you are with us because your word is opened and your people are gathered together around it. So we anticipate seeing what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Philippians, which we're going to be spending a fair amount of time in today, I would really encourage you this week to just sit down and read the whole book. 
I will confess I did not do that this week, which was my plan in preparation for the sermon. But if you did sit down and read the book of Philippians, it takes the average reader 14 minutes to sit down with this book and just read it, which I would really encourage you to do this week. Because in the church in Philippi, check this out, there was disunity, differences of opinion, internal disturbances, different wings of the church, some that were saying one thing, some that were saying, no, this is what it means to follow Jesus. There were Christians who believed that they were right on certain issues and these other Christians were wrong over here. Does that sound at all familiar to the church today? Different wings, different factions, different people emphasizing one thing over another. But what's amazing about one of the primary things that Paul does in this letter is that he introduces a new term to the Christian world. Paul takes this concept out of the world of commerce and business and culture at the time, and he now says to the church, this is who you guys are now. You have probably heard this word. It's the Greek word koinonia. It often means fellowship. Calls the church into fellowship. But really, that word, if you were going to understand it in the context and looking at the Greek and how it's used, that word really is talking about partnership. Partnership together. You've probably heard the word fellowship used in different ways. Uh, there's a couple different fellowships that maybe you're familiar of. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. Have you ever heard of the Fellowship of the Ring? Anybody? Did you ever consider what that word fellowship meant? It meant that these were the partners. There should be a picture of them. There they are. The left. A man, a, dwelt, a dwarf, etc., the hobbits. They were all called to be partners together with the quest of the ring. So they became a fellowship. There's different business fellowships you could join. There's academic fellowships that you could join, these partnerships that we are called into. And Paul uses this word, check this out, six times in this very short book that will take you 14 minutes to read. So what I'd like us to do is just, just briefly look at why is Paul using this word? What does this word mean that he's calling them into together as partners? Again, if you guys are in Philippians, we're just going to begin to look through this. Look at Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership. It's that word koinonia, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. One scholar says that this word partnership means close relationships, mutual interests, sharing, marriage, family relationships, friendship, business partnerships, common ownership of property, citizenship. These were all considered examples of that partnership in Paul's day. And now he's telling the church, you guys are in a partnership together, a new partnership in Jesus. So Paul is saying there's this common bond that we have. What is it, though? It's partnership in the gospel. That's what our new partnership is. Go to the next verse. Philippians 1, verse 6. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion 
at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Where's the word there? That word partakers? Partakers with me of grace? It literally means you are partners with me now in this grace. It's the same root word there. Philippians 2, flip over there. Paul says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul's describing this intense unity, this deep love that the church has, this oneness, and then he uses that word, participation in the Spirit. There again, it's the exact same word. It's translated differently, but the root word is the exact same. We have a partnership, a oneness. How? In the Spirit of Jesus who is with us. That is why the church can be united and as one. Turn over to Philippians 3. Again, what I would love for you to do is like, you can take a picture of this, you can jot these down. Then when you read Philippians, you literally see all these anchor points where Paul is talking about this word. Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Did you see the word there? Again, our English translations often don't show us these things as clearly. When Paul says that he shares in Jesus' suffering, at the very end of that little passage, it's the same word again. Paul is saying that he has a partnership, a oneness, a unity in Jesus' suffering, so that now he's not only united with Jesus, but even with the Philippians who themselves were suffering for Jesus. So they're partners because they share the same bonds. They've walked through the same struggles together. Again, in one sense, almost like military combat veterans, who experience the suffering of combat together, they have a partnership and a oneness and a unity that often transcends blood relationship. They have a partnership because they have suffered together. And Paul is using that word when he's talking about the church in Philippi and his union, his partnership with them. One more section, Philippians 4, verse 12. Again, what's interesting is you've probably heard a lot of these passages, but now actually begin to cement that into what Paul is talking about in light of this word. Philippians 4 verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Think about this. Paul is talking about all of All of these experiences had of knowing how to walk in plenty and hunger and longing in trial, walking with Jesus who gives him strength in all of these things. This is like amazing, powerful stuff, right? You've probably seen that verse on a gazillion coffee cups. 
probably seen that verse used so many times it's just a one-off verse. But then what does he say in verse 14? It was kind of you to share my trouble. There it is again. Koinonia. It was kind of you to partner with me in all of that trouble that I walk through. They were one with him. How does that change maybe the meaning and some of the implications of that passage? Paul is describing all these extreme lengths of how he's found Jesus to be sufficient in worries, danger, death. But then he says, and yet my friends, you guys said we're going to be partners with you in that trouble. Paul's burdens, his suffering became their suffering. His trials became their trials. His woes, their woes. It was the Philippians' partnership with Paul that allowed him to say those things. In the very next verse, 15, Paul writes that they, the church, were both the first and the only church at the time that partnered with him in the gospel. So obviously this word partnership is very important to Paul. So you can see it's no stretch of the imagination as we've just blazed through the book of Philippians, seeing, okay, this is a pretty big deal in Paul's mind. This obviously is now what it means for Christians to relate to each other. And as we saw last week, God calls us into being a people who are in relationship with him. And now because of that, because of the Spirit making us partners with Jesus, we're now partners with each other. So in our remaining time, I want us to just consider couple implications that come out of this. What does this mean for us today? First one we want to look at is that our life together is both through Jesus and in Jesus. The fact that we have put our hope in Jesus is actually what creates our life together. Our life together as partners comes from the fact that we first off have come to God through Jesus. But now we do life together with the fact that we are in Jesus. Think about this. If you stick around redemption long enough, if you stick around any group of Christians long enough, there will be people you would disagree with stuff on. Maybe even big things. Right now, again, I don't know how much you guys track the Christian church, specifically in America, but there are whole churches being torn apart over a lot of very, very tough issues related to politics, related to the border, related to critical race theory, gifts of the Spirit. How are the gifts of the Spirit supposed to work? How much should Christians practice spiritual disciplines? How much should Christians be involved in the life of their city? On and on. There's so many things. And maybe you even have Christians in your mind who you disagree with on. What changes, though, if you realize... Wait a minute, that's my partner in the gospel. I'm one with them in the spirit. Is there room in your life for Christians that you might disagree with? Is it possible that you could live in unity, even with people that you might disagree with on some issues? Think about this. Could you even be one in partners with people who vote on the other side of the aisle than you? people who vote differently than you. When we see that we are partners in Jesus and through Jesus, we see that that actually takes precedence over all things. And that does not mean that we write issues off, that we don't have to use due diligence, that we don't have to seek the scriptures and act in wisdom and actually 
take a stand on these issues. It absolutely means that. We have to do that. But those things are often put in their right spheres when we first realize what our partnership with each other means. And the reason that is so important, I'm going to give away point number two, is because that directly ties into how we witness to who Jesus is. Think about this. What right now would you say is the number one way that the church can show the world that Jesus is king? Think about this. The fact that we, maybe this, Stephen, take this as a gut check. Right now, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you are claiming that a guy died on a tree 2,000 years ago, walked up out of a grave three days later, and now is king of the world. Just so you know, that's what you are claiming to believe if you are a follower of Jesus. Gut check. You still good? Okay. How do we show that's true to the world? How do we best convincingly show people that actually is true reality? Do we show people that's true by loving the poor? By being people who are really culturally in tune, who listen to all the latest albums and know all the latest stuff and see we can relate to culture? Is it by being people who can stump the atheists? See, I can out-argue them. I can prove to them that God exists. Is that how we're going to show the world that Jesus is the true king? Is it by being Christians who are just super generous or super loving? Is it by being Christians who don't cuss? We don't watch bad movies. How do we show that Jesus is king? It's through our life together. Through the church's life together, through our union together, that is how we most clearly show that Jesus is king. The church's communion, our life together, actually forms our missional witness. All those other things I listed, super important. We need to be doing all of those things. We need to be able to think and wrestle with arguments with atheists. We need to be doing the work of loving the marginalized and victims in our society. Absolutely we do. But what's the number one way we show that the true king of the world is ruling right now? It's through our life together. It's through our commitment to Jesus, through our commitment to each other, that we prove to the world that Jesus is the Son of God. Listen to Jesus in the book of John. He says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, praying for his disciples as he's about to be led to the cross. He says, I in them and you are in me, Father, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The apostle Peter, later after Jesus has ascended and the church is being persecuted and he's writing to his friends in the churches, says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So you see, it is through our ability to work things out, to face conflict, to live in communion and harmony with people who disagree with us, to those who are hard to love. It is here that we make credible the fact that God himself has truly entered our world and is now ruling over all things. As a congregation, as a group of people not just committed to gather on a Sunday morning, 
but committed to life together as Jesus' family. It is here that we show the world that Jesus is king. So then, what does that mean for covenant partnership? Well, it means, hate to break it to you, it means the church is more than a social club. The church is more than a social club. This means that the church is not just designed by God to meet your needs or to be a collection of people who are just like you. If you want that kind of membership, there's a lot of gyms. Go hang out with people who think and act just like you. There's a lot of clubs. There's a lot of societies for people who are just like you that attracts people who are the exact same. But the church is not designed by God to all be about like-minded people, but about people who actually would normally be enemies, but who now are one in Jesus. Because God's grace has smashed into their lives and shown them, wow, the ones who would be my enemy, I'm actually one with them in Jesus now. In Jesus, all divisions are cast aside. In the New Testament, if you read it in this lens, it's abundantly clear. Race, gender, age, socioeconomic status, all of these are overcome through Jesus, and all of these differences are to be present in the church. So the church is more than a social club, which is why we want to highlight and make abundantly clear, for a lot of reasons, we're moving away from language of membership. We're not going to have church membership. We want to call it church partnership together, that we are covenant partners together. So let's look at this last point. We are in covenantal communion with one another. God has chosen to relate to us through covenant, through a relationship with us that now informs how we do life together. So, our life is shaped by our covenant God, and then with each other. But here's what I want you to realize with this point, point number four, our last one. We will never, ever grow as a church if we hold on to our ideals of community versus the reality of community. We will never grow as a church if we only fight over our ideals of what community is to be versus the reality of what community is to be. Because the simple reality is, we all approach a church and relationships with expectations, with ideals of what we think is most important for a church. Maybe you just want a simple church service and don't ask too much of me. Maybe you want easy relationships or just some nice Bible studies to attend. Again, don't hear me disparaging these things. But for some people, this is all they want. Maybe you want really good worship times, really good singing times. Maybe you're like, if the preaching's not spot on every week, I'm out. Maybe you want a church that just only focuses on community and loving people outside of the walls of our church. And all of these are important. But are you willing to recognize that your personal ideals might actually not be what's most important? For redemption to grow and flourish, we all, which includes me and Scott, we all must be willing to have our ideals shattered. I grew up in such and such kind of church, so this is what I expect church to be. 
Okay, in just a second, we're going to look at like what biblically the church is to be. Are you willing to say, well, maybe my ideals, my preferences aren't actually what reality is going to be? What are your ideals for how missional community life or small group community life should be like? What are your ideals for how your family life is supposed to relate to the church? Are you willing to have any of that moved, adjusted, smashed all together possibly? Are you willing to at least put that on the table? I have lost count, kid you not. I have lost count over how many people have come and left this church because their preferences were not met. And I'll tell you, I've been a pastor for two years. Already lost count. A lot of people just leave because, well, it's not that it's unbiblical. I just, I just don't like this. Okay? Okay. Which means that we either choose to grab onto what the scriptures call us to and not just our preferences, or else we will never grow as a church. I won't give away who this is who said this next, but you'll probably figure it out quick if you know this man. He's a pastor who believed so deeply in community and the church's witness as a community that he ended up dying for the sake of Jesus. Listen to what this guy wrote. In numerable times, a whole Christian community has broken down because it came from a wish dream. And I would just encourage you, before we read this quote, it's a little bit lengthy, just listen. If you want the quote, I'll send it to you. I will send it to you. A whole Christian community has broken down because it sprung up from a wish dream. The serious Christian, when he's set down for the first time in a community, he's likely to bring with him or her a very definite idea of what the Christian life is supposed to be like. What the Christian life should be and try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. Pause real quick. Have you guys ever seen any of those Soma missional community videos? For those of you who don't know, we're part of a family of churches called Soma that believes in planning churches around missional communities, living life together. And they, again, I'm not disparaging the videos. The videos are cool. But it's like perfect community, people sharing meals, children quietly playing, Bible studies, and people getting saved. And it's like, oh, it's amazing. That ain't real life. Sometimes it is, but if that's your ideal, man, I've been failing forever then. We all have our ideals of what that's supposed to be like together. Planting gardens, the children playing, all of that stuff. If you've seen the Soma videos, you know what I'm talking about. He can, the writer continues, God is not a God of the emotions, but the God of truth. Only that fellowship of Christians which faces that type of disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to us. The sooner this shock and disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. Pause again. Has that happened yet? Have you been disappointed yet by community? Have your ideals and your preferences... You lost those a long time ago. Has that happened to you yet? Maybe it hasn't. Be ready. Because it will probably come soon, and it might even come from me. 
Has your bubble of perfect community been wrecked yet? Almost done with this quote. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be, be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish dream that is injected into Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if community is to survive. Final sentence, this is the money. This is the real deal. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his intentions might be honest and earnest and sacrificial. So, where has the church disappointed you? Where have people let you down? Where has Redemption Church specifically failed you? Where have relationships failed you? Where has your missional community failed you? Where have Scott and I failed you? Fill in the blank. Not to be overly sarcastic, but great. Now that we've all recognized that, are we ready to say, okay, what's my ideal? And then what's real community going to look like? Are you willing to potentially lay aside your own choose-your-own-adventure of following Jesus and become a partner with us here at Redemption? We're going to close by looking at what a covenant family does. I've got a list of scriptures that are going to come up here. Covenant family in the New Testament is committed to spur one another on to love and good works. Not just coddle each other, but to actually exhort and correct each other in love. A New Testament church, according to Romans 12, is to be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, which includes the people who aren't your favorite people. Live in harmony with one another. That means don't put things off that need to be addressed. If this morning you know, I need to bring this up with someone, I need to talk with somebody about this, don't put it off. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Sure, you have rights. Sure, you can say, well, I have freedom to do this, or I want to do this. Are you willing to lay that aside for the sake of community, for the sake of those who maybe are weaker than you? Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, I've been a pastor for a whopping two and a half years. I've seen so many people leave over relational strife. But let me tell you this. You only really have grievances with people you actually know. If you're like, man, I've got these relationships and like, we just get along so well. We've never had a fight. You might not know him that well. I remember when my wife and I got married, that honeymoon phase was sweet. It lasted about 36 hours for us. And I think I cussed at her on our honeymoon. I was so mad about something. Didn't last long. So, bear with one another. The people you think, oh, we're just like perfectly in life together. Everything's in sync. Keep pressing in. There will be grievances, and you can work through them. 
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, richly as you teach and admonish with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs. Lastly, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Friends, that's, that's what the church is called to be. A lot of life on life, which I'll tell you, doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. It happens in everyday life, the Monday through the Saturday. These commands that the church, these commands declare that the church is to be committed to one another. Yes, our lives revolve around Jesus, but that necessarily means if you want to revolve your life around Jesus, you revolve your life around his people. Because that's where you're going to see and know Jesus. So I want to close. This is weird. I'm going to close by making you a promise. I, as your pastor, promise you the following. I promise you that if you show up consistently in gatherings, within your missional community, within the lives of other people, if you show up and if you seek to love others, you will get everything you want out of Redemption Church. I promise you. Show up consistently. Seek to actually love people. You will get everything you want out of this church. Maybe for you, you need spiritual growth. Maybe for you, you need friendship. Maybe you don't really understand the Bible and how Jesus works and what this Christian life is all about. Maybe you just are really struggling in life and you need help. You will get all of that if you show up and if you help people. But I also promise you that if you do not do this, if you do not show up consistently, you won't grow in knowing Jesus. You won't grow in knowing the Bible. You won't grow in learning to pray. If you don't love others and care for them, you will instead learn to judge Redemption Church. I promise you. Because you will judge it for how it has failed to meet your needs. After 2020, masks, racism, vaccine debates, political madness, nothing will help you grow more as a follower of Jesus than jumping into life with a church. And I call you to jump into life with this church. But maybe it's a different church for you. But I would call you to jump into life with this church and show up and love people because you need the church. And the church needs you. So next week, we're actually going to take time to just, me and Scott, we're just going to walk through the covenant. We're going to walk through our new church covenant together. We're going to ask you, are you willing to covenant with us to be a partner here with us? We're going to walk through all the specifics of what that looks like. But we're going to ask you, are you ready to do that here with us at Redemption? So in just a minute, we're going to take communion. And the band, if you guys want, you can come up now as we prepare to sing. But let's just take a minute. And I'm going to close this in prayer, then we'll give some instructions for communion. Lord, Father, we thank you for the power of the fact that you, the God who rules over all, chose to give us yourself. You chose to enter into relationship with us. God, as much as it humbles us to say this, you don't need us. You don't need us for your mission. You don't need us to do things for you. You, God, are self-sufficient, but you call to us and say, I'm going to put myself in covenant with you. I'm going to call you into life with me 
through life together. So God, we've looked at your word today. We've looked at these passages. We've sought to lay open our hearts and our lives. And we ask God now that we would hear you speak. Jesus, we thank you that your covenant with us literally came at cost to yourself. That you actually gave up your life, not just simply but by dying, but by dying in such a way that all of our sin, all of our weakness, all of our shame, all of our longing for our own way. God, we ask that this season we are in together as a church, I want to publicly pray what Scott and I have prayed about for months and years privately, that this new season would mark a new season of growth for Redemption Church. Jesus, that through Redemption Church, men and women and children would come to see the beauty and power and worth of following Jesus in all of the beauty and in all of the hardship because this life together is not easy. But Jesus, you tell us to pick up our cross and follow you, which means picking up our cross and following you into relationship with each other. Jesus, we ask that you would continually surprise us with your goodness as we step into this new season, this new covenant, this new idea of partnership together. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.